This is Scott McBean down here at North Star Community. I am the associate pastor, and I am joined, as always, by... Teresa McBean, the other pastor. Uh, We bring you each week these recaps of our weekend messages. We call it a podcast. It's not really a podcast. It's just a message recap. So for, and it's here for those of you who weren't able to join us um, over the weekend. And so we we tend to like to give the dates uh, because that way, um, if you were there and you don't want to listen to one that you already heard, uh, you can skip it. So this was roughly October 17th, 18th, 19th-ish. I don't have a calendar in front of me, but it was that weekend, and I I just happened to know that because I was at VCU for class all weekend, so I wasn't here for this message. Now, one of the things that Teresa does when she is playing the MC role for my messages is she always says that whatever the message was, whenever it was given, it was the best one I ever gave. And she does that to fool you into thinking that, uh, you know, I said something that was worth paying attention to. Not true. <laughs> a lie. It's all a lie. Uh, on this particular weekend, at least one person who I can't remember told me that this was the best message you ever gave. And then you told me this was the best message you ever gave. I did think it was one of the best messages I ever gave. And how many times have you ever heard me say that? In no, not often. Years? I, did, I did not take it as a prideful thing at all. Yeah. And, and um, I think when we... Um, I think once, twice, max, three times a year. I think this is true for both of us, but I'll just speak for myself. I feel like I gave a a really good message. Yeah. Um, And sometimes, I think this year, like a couple months ago, I felt like I gave three really great ones in a row. And I don't know if that was true or not, but that's how I felt about it. Yeah. And that was my quota for the year. That was it. <laughs> like, I didn't feel good about any of the ones before that or any of the ones after that so far, but that's how it goes. You know, uh, this is how I understand all those references to the Holy Spirit blowing where it wants to go. Um, and it only shows up here a few times a year for us to give decent messages. So if we do 50-50, you know, there's like, you know, we're doing like... 23, 24, 25 a piece, something like that. Yeah. Three out of 25. Yeah. And the poor people in our community just never know. That's like six good weekends a year. I mean, our numbers are as bad as a mediocre baseball player. Low average baseball player. Low average, yeah. Um, So anyway, this this was an, uh, I don't know, it was just a really unusual setup for a message uh, that I would give. Uh, it I was inspired actually by the story of the Odyssey in response to something that had happened um, in a previous week's message uh, that somebody had um, said and it inspired me because really what we were doing in this series is we are what you and I think we are doing in this spirit series is, talking about what God might be up to in the world today. Right. And in a previous message, I realized that we can talk about what God is up to in the world today until we turn blue in the face. But if we don't acknowledge that recognizing God being up to anything is greatly dependent on the mindset of the person uh, wondering about this question, uh, then we're kidding ourselves. So... Uh, before you go further, yeah, tell me what you mean by that. Well, I think maybe the best thing I could say about what I mean by that is to say that uh, I agree with David Benner's quote in The Gift of Being Yourself, 
where he says that Christian spirituality involves a transformation of the self that occurs only when God and self are both deeply known. And so I can't do a series that only talks about what God is up to without also interjecting how we may or may not be aware of what he's doing or our part in the work. And Benner was inspired by John Calvin, who wrote, nearly the whole of sacred doctrine consists in these two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. And so this was one of those messages stuck in the series, as I want to do, to go rogue a little bit, on a series about what God is up to in the world today. I had to, I couldn't stand it. I had to circle back around uh, and challenge people to think about what was up with them. Um, so in other words, if I'm hearing you right, not, this message is about how knowledge of ourselves impacts, uh, and I don't know what the I don't know what the second half is yet, but I think it's coming, but how knowledge of ourselves somehow impacts our ability to perceive what God is up to in the world or impacts how we answer the question what God is up to in the world, something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I guess I just kind of wanted to shake everybody's cage a little bit and say, wake up, God is up to stuff, <laughs> and you're part of it. Um, so I thought about the Odyssey, which is... Um, a classic story about the importance of homecoming. And it's a metaphor for the inner journey that brings us to our true self. So you and I still struggle with this language of true self versus false self. We don't want to split people up in itty-bitty bits. But, um, yeah, living in living in the reality of who we really are and who re- God really is and what He's up to. Maybe we should digress and dig into that for just a minute. Digress away, because I think that um, so the two of us um, are in mostly agreement, but slightly different places with the language of true self versus false self. And this just might be an interesting digression. Before. Yeah, are digress you, away. Are you concerned about this getting in the way of the message? I am never concerned about digressions. You're the one that gets tensed up about that. I love, because I'm capable of multitasking, digressions. So go. What are you thinking about? In case you didn't get what just happened there, that was a passive-aggressive attack on me. No, it was not. (laughs) I was hoping it was going to be perceived as really assertive. (laughs) (laughs) It was an aggressive attack attack on me. It wasn't an attack. It was just a reality. I'm feeling so attacked. Good. You can't. You can't take my feelings away from me. I don't want to. Go ahead. Go ahead, little victim. What do you want to say? <laughs> um, no, I think the part that we're mostly in agreement on. I think with true self, false self language. I think the danger, the the only danger that I see is us thinking that there are certain things that we do in life that we think are are really us. Yeah. Like there's times where I, I behave in a certain way and if I'm like proud of it or maybe just not ashamed of it, then that's really me. And then the stuff that I do that I'm ashamed of, that's not really me. It's not my true self. It's my false self. And therefore, it's not really part of who I am. Yeah. Hey, I totally agree with that. 
uh, I the thing I struggle with is I want us to come up with better language than true and false self. Um, confused I- and forgetful selves, maybe. Maturing self. One of the things that I think that you're really good about being clear on is also, I think this is a problem with the language true and false self that you and I are in agreement on, um, is that we're afraid that what people are going to hear when we talk about true self and false self is this mythology around this idea that there's some pure, wonderful state of being that we're supposed to return to. Right, right. And and that's not it, you know. Um, we're becoming I, I don't know, it's a process. There's some there's some we need an English person <laughs> with good English skills and a big vocabulary to come up with this idea of becoming, becoming Right. I think you know? so I think And that's, I don't even want to say mature. Well, so I'm I'm fine with using the language as long as you you say what you mean by it. And I think the, the really, I think that second part, what you were saying, I think the really good part about true self-false self-language is that um, both of us believe that we have to own that, you know, who we are and the things that we've done, that it's all part of us. It's right. all part of who we are. Right. And we don't distance ourselves from that. But I think that the, the, best, the, the best part of the true self-language is this idea that we don't have to be stuck with the worst parts of ourselves, that we right. can aspire uh, to be somebody who lives out a new certain way of seeing, right? right? Or, right. Or, or takes on a new way of being through, through changes over time, you know? And I, I think that's the, that's the idea that, like, we can acknowledge that we were a person at one point in time that isn't who we necessarily really wanted to be, but we're not stuck there. And we can become a person who we really wanted to be and call that, if we want to call that a true self, like I think that's a really good way of, and I think that's what you're doing here. Yeah, well, that's but, what I'm trying to do. At yeah, any rate. yeah, I think that's right. And you know, it's getting to know yourself for good, bad, and ugly, and not being stuck in self pity with the ugly, but having the hope to keep going. And so, anyway, I wanted to circle back around to to rattle people's cages to wake up. Don't. Don't get stuck in thinking about yourself in a in a certain particular way, either too too highly or too poorly. And so I thought about um, this story of the Odyssey and this particular part in the story, um, where Odysseus's central goal in the story is to get home. Um, now remember that I'm thinking of it as a metaphor, not as a specific place but like a state of being in which uh, we are leaning into being the people that we really want to be, uh, that our actions are consistent with what we would say our core values and beliefs are. Mm -hmm. That's what I think true self is, is consistency and congruency. Mm -hmm. Um, And... um, And I think that that's kind of the root of all wanting and choosing. You know, I don't think most of us go around saying, I can't wait to wake up and screw up my life today. I think we want that for ourselves. So anyway, back to Odysseus. So the first place he and his people fleet visit after leaving Troy to sell home 
So the Trojan War's ended. They're headed home. And they land in the land of the Lotus Eaters. And the Lotus Eaters are an easygoing, friendly tribe who live on the flowering food called lotus. They're really pleasant, but they have no desires at all. They've snuffed out all their desires with their self-deadening herb, the lotus, and they're unable to choose a path of action um, one over another because they've fallen asleep to their guidepost, sort of their true north, their home space, who they um, want to be, live with their values. They don't do any of that. Um, and they're stuck in a fork on the road, unable to choose. And basically what they do is they um, live off the lotus flower. And um, it just numbs them to everything. So one could imagine that they're basically just a bunch of uh, stoners who sit around all day <laughs> doing with a motivational syndrome. That's exactly what our community thought. <laughs> they said, "Oh, I this get sounds it. like this sounds like me in the '60s." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this was me in the '80s. And then one guy popped up and said, "This was me 30 days ago." Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so here they are. They're kind of stuck, and um, and I, I think it's un, it, it was it reminded me a lot of all the reasons that we sometimes feel stuck spiritually. We just get into this habitual ways of thinking about ourselves, feeling hopeless about ourselves. Did you say habitual ways? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, habitual ways of thinking and feeling about ourselves, and we don't make we don't make progress and and I don't mean progress in a performance sense. This is why I find that the the language so constricting, just movement through our journey where we are developing um, a greater sense of awareness about how we see the world and who we want to be in it. And all of that came from this idea of, um, you know, if we kind of know what God is up to in the world, then, quote, woke, being woke, for us, um, that common new language, um, would mean that we would be in tune to being with God in doing that. So it seems to me that um, Odysseus was at a place where he 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 had not part well let me can i go on with the story of odysseus yeah let's go on okay let's so get he, the whole story out there maybe in okay uh, so here's what happened so um the lotus eaters offer odysseus's men some lotus mm-hmm. and they partake except not odysseus um and odysseus's men forget the way home and they basically want to stay in Lotus Land eating edibles all day. <laughs> <laughs> and Odysseus has Didn't to. Somebody just get in trouble for that. Uh, oh yes, one of the Miami Heat players had an edible and then lost his mind on the on the team airplane. I think. Oh well, that's because, and we could do a whole section on this, but this is a huge digression that even I would object to. 
is the dosing on edibles is incredible, especially if you home make them. And so you can lose your mind. So really edibles is not recommended. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I'll keep going. Yeah, sorry. If you can't see that from from all the way back in the Lotus Land story, I can't help you with (laughs) it. I don't think my facts and research will help you. No. So Odysseus goes out and he finds them and he takes them back to the ship by force where he ties them to rowing benches so they can return, resume their journey back home. And they want to go home, but they have completely forgotten it's their greatest desire. And without knowing that that is their greatest desire, they have no incentive to get in that boat and row their oars, right? So without the knowledge of what it means to be at home, all of us, don't have much reason to engage in the difficult journey that actually leads to being at home with God doing what God's up to. So like the lotus eaters, we fall asleep to our needs and wants that are most helpful and most honest for us and most needed and most closely related to bearing the image of God, which is part of our certain way of seeing. Mm-hmm. And without the desire to manifest that higher possibility of who we could be, hey, man, I'd want to sit around eating edibles all day, too. <laughs> um, so we can't, lo- we can't locate motivation to act, and we don't know which direction to go in if we did have the motivation. You know, there's nothing to set our compass by. And without a sense of or a desire for home, it's easy to want to just simply stay comfortable in lotus land. So, yeah, that was the story I told. So I think, I mean, my guess is um, that the the key thing is um, trying to figure out how to, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, um, but maybe I should just put anything out there and then we'll just work off it, but... The idea is that you you have to have some vision in mind for where you're heading or you can kind of be distracted by complacency yeah. or 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 you're more able to be distracted by anything distracted it, by just distractions like whatever any shiny object you know instead of being fully human bearing the image of god we're squirrels chasing shiny objects I think almost as a metaphor like I think about um like I remember, um, before we before I had a, a child, yeah, I would have a day. Monday would be my day off. Friday right. would be your day off. Monday would be my day off. Right. right. So if I didn't have a plan for what I wanted to do on my day off, right, I would do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And then at the end of the day, I would feel like I just wasted. Like I spent six days waiting for this. And then I wasted it. I right. just, you know, pissed it away. Right. And it wasn't because like I had something great that needed to be accomplished. It was like I just wanted to read a book. You know, I wanted to play my guitar. Right. Uh, I wanted, you know, I had things that, you know, during the week I'm thinking like Tuesday to Sunday. I'm like, man, I'd really love to have some time to do X, Y, or Z. But if I didn't like actually think about it in advance and sit down and do it, then it wouldn't get done. And I think as a metaphor, um, the way this story is a metaphor, if we're thinking about who we want to become in life, right? if we don't have some idea of who we want to become, 
Right. Then in all likelihood, we're not really going to make movements towards being that person. Right. Okay, so keep that thought in mind right there. And Mm -hmm. then listen to this part. Now, this is the part that God is up to. Okay. So if if we don't have somebody to haul our ass out of lotus land and tie us to a bench and say, row this away, we're going to waste our one wild and precious life, in my personal opinion. So now let's pair that with what God is up to. I think God is up to helping us figure out what we need to thrive, encouraging us to have the courage to ask for what we need, And for those who happen to not be in so much need at that particular moment, be the kind of people who respond to that all willy-nilly. So the example I gave was the guy who told the story about the umbrella and needing an umbrella and thinking about stealing one of ours. And I was sitting there listening to the story and I was like, hell, man, if you told me you needed an umbrella, I'd be glad to give you that umbrella. Somebody left it here months ago. You know, it's, it would, it, no skin off our nose to just hand you that umbrella. Just ask. But that would require a certain understanding of what God's up to, that he's up to giving us what we need, and he uses human hands to do it. But that's not what's happening in the world today. I think we're afraid there's not enough to go around, and we're not able to trust that if we ask someone Um, for help that they will give it. Um, Or if we're asked to give something, I think we're afraid um, that we won't have enough left over to meet our own needs. I think we've fallen asleep. So then I think we start stealing umbrellas instead of asking for help. Uh, We stop handing out umbrellas because we've lost touch with what it's like to be cold and hungry and homeless and wet. And we've also forgotten to notice when we are warm and well-fed and with the capacity. And then in the middle of the message, I changed that word to not capacity, but responsibility. The responsibility to hand out umbrellas to cold, wet, homeless, hungry people without critiquing why they're cold, wet, hungry, and homeless. Mm-hmm. And so that was the message, you know, that God's trying to wake us up. Um, And um, and I think so often we spend our lives uh, being the lotus eater rather than Odysseus. So um, I think that people use this phrase, God is trying to wake us up a lot. And so, but I think you mean something very unique when you say it. So I don't want to move off that too quickly. Because I think what you're saying is that God is trying to wake us up to the possibility that our needs might be met. And that therefore we don't have to resort to um, what I'll call suboptimal ways of being in order to get our needs met. So what I mean by that is like, um, if you're sitting there thinking... Um, in order to have my needs met, I need to steal an umbrella as opposed to there's an umbrella there. I've been coming to North Star for months and that umbrella has been there every single Sunday. It probably doesn't belong to anybody. I wonder if they would give it to me if I asked. Right. So the second example is an example of, hey, somebody out there 
might be perfectly happy to meet my need if I asked. Right. And I think what you're saying is that's a tacit, um, that's a subtle uh, example of knowing that God is at work because we know that there's people out there who we, we hope and trust that there are people out there who would meet our requests, who would, who would meet our needs. Yes. Whereas in the first example, it's an example of hopelessness. Yep. Nobody's going to do anything for me. Therefore, I should just take that thing and they'll probably never notice anyway. Right. Right. And it, I, we don't, I, let me just clarify, I don't say that to judge the, the man who brought that up at all like because i thought he it was he was totally honest and he didn't act on his impulse right and he shared his impulse and i think what he did is really wonderful and it's been an example that we've been able to use for for several weeks and it's been something that we've all learned from and i and i'm like really grateful to him for sharing that and we all have uh ways in which we um i guess stoop to being something less than who we really want to be either in our our desires or our actions. And so um, I, I don't think either one of us is trying to throw him under the bus by, by telling this story. No, no. I mean, we re- and, and, and the whole community really rallied around that story and saw, I think, and I think that's what made it one of my favorite messages, uh, which is probably better than saying it was one of my best. Um, one of my favorite messages because in that room that day, Everybody got it. And it was because of his story, not because of my content, which to me is what made it so great. And and then as a follow-up to that, uh, one of the people in our community said, everybody should have an umbrella. And so this year we're we just, with great spontaneity, my friend sent out a note to the community and said, who wants to join me in providing umbrellas for people who are, who have to stand out in the cold and the rain on weekends? And within a matter of days, we had enough of what we needed. So at Christmas, everybody's going to get an umbrella in that particular community that I'm speaking of. So it's two Which sides of the it, same coin. Yeah. Right? And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. You have, the, you have people saying, we recognize that there are needs that we can meet. And I think this is, I think both sides of that coin are each person's responsibility, depending on where you are in life, right? Like, we all need to be the person at times who says, I can meet somebody else's need, and therefore I'm going to. And we all need to be able to be the person who says, I have a need that needs to be met, and therefore I'm going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's not just, uh, it's never just one of those things. It's It's always both. And you're never... The second one's the more vulnerable one. Yeah. It's much more vulnerable to have to ask than to say, I can do that for you. Right. Because so often when we say, I can do that for you, then it's like, I feel good because I did something for somebody. Right. Rather than just like, it's just part of, you know, it's just part of being a person who has a certain way of seeing to do things for others and not having to like take credit for it or feeling like you're a good person. Right. You know, which isn't to say I want people to feel like bad people either, because I don't. I just, you know, you just always run that risk of doing things because it feels good rather than doing things because you're committed to being a certain kind of person. 
Right. And if you return to the original point of the whole message series is what is God's God is what is God up to? Then a cautionary tale for all of us is the grand both and the asking for and receiving and the being able to give a little. Mm -hmm. Um, But what God is up to is just willy nilly mercy. And so it's a cautionary tale to think if you're the you're the person that's always able to give. You're really missing something, like the whole point of the message, right? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I just, um, I just love thinking about that. I love thinking about the lotus people who just lose their way and and aren't aren't on the move at all because I think so many people want to be in the move, be on the move in the world today but just do not know what to, how to take the next right step. And I think it's because they keep thinking it's a big leap rather than, hey, pitch in for one umbrella. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, that was the message. That's a good one. I wish I was there for it, but I'm glad we got to do this. That's why we do this. And um, you've probably forgotten already because one of us always forgets, but uh, we've come to the point in time where we try to make a recommendation. And I'm going to, um, judging based on the look on your face, I think I'm right about the fact that you forgot about this. I and did. I've got something to start with, which is a book that was written quite a while ago, I think in the 50s, although it could have been a little more, a slightly more recent than that, called How People Change. Okay. By a guy named Alan Wheelis. Um, and it's really, really good. Really, really profound. Really, really short. And it was recommended to me by one of my professors. And um, one of the things that he that he talks about early in the book is that people are... Um, that who we are in the world is a product of our actions. And so... Um, you know, if you steal a thousand times, you're probably a thief. But at the same time, if you've only stolen once, you're not a thief. You're just a person who did the thing once. Yeah. And that just because you're a person who's done a thing many times. So even if you are a thief, it doesn't mean that you're incapable of becoming somebody else. Right. Um, And he, he just has a very clear way of articulating how a person comes to be who they are, but also without giving up hope that just because you are a certain way doesn't mean you can't be another way. That's cool. And he does a good job of unpacking like how people make steps towards making change and what are the factors that go into changes and what are the types of things that, that um, a lot of times is a certain kind of hopelessness that's part and parcel of where we are at a certain moment in life. and how we might see our way around that, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really good book. Um, I'm trying to speak in vague terms because I don't want to give anything away, and I know that's going to come across as confusing, but it is what it is. I don't like to ruin books. So, How People Change by Alan Wheelis. I have one. Yep. Um, So what I'd like to recommend is one of the things that we talk about uh, in our community a lot as it relates to recovery is... um, just because one path to recovery didn't work for you doesn't mean you should give up. And we mm-hmm. really try to support a lot of different um, resources for recovery because 
we recognize that we're all different and uh, some things resonate at different points in our journey. And so I am really enjoying um, learning about uh, refuge recovery. Okay. And so if you if you are looking for some recovery meetings in your community, um, I'd recommend if if you just need a little jump start or whatnot, uh, check out Refuge Recovery and their uh, approach uh, to supporting one another in recovery and uh, see what you think. I'm enjoying what I'm learning and I think that for some people it might be a really good uh, addition to uh, to their approach to changing. So there you have it. All right. Very good. Well, we appreciate you listening. One last thing. Our music comes to us royalty-free, courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, who can be found on the web at sessions.blue. We are North Star Community, and you can find us on the web at northstarcommunity.com. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon.